Um, yeah, the approach that, that I wanted to, to take today is more like kind of this conversation with my mentor. Um, instead of, of focusing heavily on COVID-19 issues, I think it's interesting to look back at your career, Aditya, and, and understand how you, you, you came across certain situation and mm -hmm. how you solved some problems, took some decisions. So um, I wanted to ask an uh, introductory introduction question first. Um, you, I, I went into your, your LinkedIn and, and, I, and I see that you headline, you define yourself as a business leader, a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader, board member, a former president and board member at Indigo, investor, mentor, speaker, philanthropist. So the, the, the surprising thing to me when I read that is that the, the only company you mentioned in this is, is Indigo, which is a company you actually don't work for anymore. Um, and, and lots of words. So, so what defines you? Who are you today? Uh, you know, uh, I always find that a, a very difficult question to answer, um, you know, when people ask me that. Um, but I'm even more so probably when I often reflect back as to who I am. But, you know, um, what I've kind of come to uh, be more comfortable with over the years is... Uh, the fact that I am actually a sort of a multidimensional personality and I have a lot of different interests. And um, so I did go through this phase of life where I sort of was apologetic about, you know, all the hundred things that I'm constantly interested in and kind of try to focus on one or two things. But then I realized, you know, it's one life and, uh, uh, and, uh, and therefore, you know, we have only a short period of time to be able to kind of really explore all the different things that are part of our personality and, and sort of seek out the true potential in us. So if, um, if you had to really force me to define myself, then I think I'd say that I want, I'm a wannabe polymath <laughs> and I'm ever curious, constantly learning. Um, but yes, these are some of the things which are various you know aspects of my life where I spend a lot of my, time in, whether it is companies like Indigo, where I work the most amount of time, whether it was as a lawyer or whether it is now as board member on, on various companies. But then I also like, uh, when I have a fairly deep interest in uh, philanthropy. I mean, I don't talk about it too much because it feels like, uh, it feels like a little awkward, you know, when you're, when you're talking about something that you're doing uh, for others. Um, but I'm, I'm also interested in books and reading and film and, and this, that, and the other. So uh, Bhupen, of course, knows me for since my days in college. So I think I think that's one part of my personality which has remained consistent that, you know, I used to hardly spend any time in, in class, but always either debating or theater or dramatics or something of that sort. <laughs> yeah, if I, if I could just add to what Aditya is saying, I distinctly remember first time when Aditya and I went together for an inter-college debate. And I think we ended up winning some money. Either he won the debate or I won the debate. And we just felt, I think it was, it must have been what, uh, maybe $4 or $5 or something perhaps, you know, in, in today's Probably, month. yeah. Probably. And we just thought that we had, we had really arrived. Absolutely. God, I mean, you know, I mean, what are we going to do with this money? <laughs> oh, and from then to now, uh, the world has certainly changed. The world is, and I, I must say, uh, Julian, I must say, you know, I, every time I look at Aditya's story, uh, and and as we were talking about this yesterday, uh, sometimes I've ended up asking him uh, and putting him in very uncomfortable situations. <laughs> but I must say that I feel extremely proud uh, to have witnessed his journey firsthand, right from 
I mean, not many people know this. You know, he he didn't. He wasn't an economic student to begin with. I was a student of history. <laughs> he was he was in history. <laughs> history. Wow. History. I mean, imagine. And you know, if, 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 now that you're talking about his past life, I, I really want to know how for for a student of history. I did maths, by the way. Yes. You know, uh, but from history to law to business to philanthropy. I mean, I don't know. You know, scuba diving <laughs> thrown in between. <laughs> But you know, Bhupen, uh, uh, you know, uh, actually, very some of it was um, just out of necessity, you know, and in some 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 ways. But uh, but what I realized very early on, and this is something I I encourage a lot of you know youngsters that I uh, younger colleagues that I come across, hmm. that you know our our sort of formal degree in education. Should mm-hmm. not define who we who we are, and at least should not at least constrain us from from really you know trying out our our luck or our or our efforts at different things. You know, for example, um, uh, you, again, Julian, uh, you know, Bupin, while while he was a student of math, uh, he was extremely good at at Hindi, uh, and uh, and he was extremely good at uh, and his father was a very famous. a uh, political science professor at at Delhi University so he's another multidimensional personality but and from there he's gone and built a career in journalism the reason i say this julian is it may not be very surprising to you you know you come from a from a country uh, in switzerland or for example even st gallen the university that you that you went to which encourages these multidimensional you know different facets coming together in oh. india i although it is changing but i don't think it's changing fast but certainly when i was in college it was very straight jacket it was very straight jacket. the best jobs in the world were would always go to the engineers and then the mbas and then and it's and interesting then, because i went I, i did study for a few months in india and it was quite interesting to see that 80% or 70% i think of the school doing the mba were engineers and and yeah. i felt like yeah and and you know and then you look at but you look at the, around the world some of the most successful companies in the world are are run by people who never went to business school you know whether it is some of the major airlines of the world many of them are actually lawyers you know whether it is united airlines southwest or for example you know ken shanol the very famous chairman ceo of of um, of american express was actually a was from harvard law school and not from harvard business school so um, but uh, same thing actually used to be with sports as well you know where people who used to say you know if you're a sports person then you are not supposed to be good in studies and if you're good in studies then you're not supposed to be a sports person that has changed a lot now so i think it's just that um, slight more confidence to be able to take on risks um which is which is allowed these very few yeah i understand um one question because i understand about undergrad that you can have a super diverse undergrad and then still go back into another field and this is what happened to you but i feel like once you go to law school or medical school you kind of entitled to one career and this is how you started your career i think you were uh, associate in in uh, one of india's uh, leading law firm um and and i think you were 28 or 29 when you decided to kind of um quit the 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 the, the practice and and, and go to 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 indigo which was integlobe there was no planes i think at the time so that was kind of a bold move what, what was the motivation behind it and why why did you pivot like that 
see um you know that that has actually been a pattern of my life uh, you know over a period of time that uh, whenever i feel that i am getting into a comfort zone i or that you know that things are going only too well um i get a, i get very uncomfortable i i get uncomfortable because i have to always test myself um uh, that whether i'm truly worthy of of the opportunity that i'm getting or or is it that i just got plain lucky so when at 28 the time that you're asking about um you know i was doing extremely well at uh, the law firm that i used to work at j sagar associates and that was also because of the tremendous amount of support and uh, and love and affection that i got from all the senior partners that i was a kid um but then i was like you know is this what i'm always going to do am, am i am i good here or am i am i racing ahead because i started here as a 21 year old kid or am i actually good in the sort of real to speak which is why then i moved out of the firm and then you know i got very lucky and fortunate to be able to get involved with starting indigo just about that time but the same thing actually happened to me in 2008 when uh, uh 2018 sorry when you know everything is going well at indigo and you know we're we're, we're topping the charts everything you know all the sort of checklist items are getting ticked i again asked myself i'm 42 um you know 40 uh, coming up to 43 is this what i'm always going to do or am i am i capable enough to take my 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 skills or my experience and do something else again i'm 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 only bringing in bhupen because there are you know uncannily there are some 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 uh, similarities here i mean here is a very very successful journalist whose face is known and things like that and it takes a lot of guts and courage and i think bhupen can talk about it to pluck yourself out of that and go literally sit in the hills which is exactly what he's doing <laughs> and they're all very loving it loving it see the beautiful mountains behind <laughs> uh, uh but but it's not just it's not just a job and it's not just but it is you know it can become very addictive so so it, and even if you're not addicted it takes a lot to be able to kind of cross that cross that rubicon cross that line but when you come out of it irrespective of whether you're successful or not you prove something to yourself that you know i i i can yeah. do this yeah i think uh, i i i agree i agree with uh, with what aditya is saying you know in in an indian context julian uh, i think it's very important to understand uh, where we come from both aditya and i and aditya spoke about my dad uh, who unfortunately is no more but we all come from uh, you know from from very humble typically indian middle class backgrounds so the indian trajectory so to say is typically that you end up spending the first 10 to 15 years of your professional life trying to find your bearings you know trying to get yourself a comfortable financial base you end up well you know getting into a family scenario somewhere in between there are added responsibilities and and, and somewhere you you don't really think in terms of your own abilities to take a bet or to take risk your risk taking ability i think for an indian citizen uh, or any indian professional i would say between between the age of 25 to 35 37 is rather limited uh, i i i think on 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 that front certainly aditya seems to you know he's he crossed the red line far earlier uh, but why have i done this and since aditya was talking about this while i love the the hills i'm in the hills of uttarakhand beautiful place uh, the truth is that 
this was on my mind exactly the trajectory which aditya has has gone through in his life was on my mind for a very long time that why should i not think in terms of you know branching out on my own why should i not have an individual independent entrepreneurial journey of my own i think in an indian context what tends to happen is that this ability to embark upon your own always ends up being tested very very aggressively a by the kind of position that you may have achieved in your respective domain by then there are of course there are big huge financial stakes which are involved nobody wants to you know give up uh, i mean i could have just done what i was doing at my network till i would have retired you know uh, and and i would have lived a very very comfortable and rosy life but the ability i think to test one's own self a lot of people have asked me this question for instance that why now bang in the middle of this corona pandemic why now i genuinely believe i genuinely believe that if ever there was an opportunity to try something new something which is completely disruptive that this was the opportunity in many ways i look at uh, aditya as an inspiration and uh, and i and i think that people like aditya me in many ways i think will will end up uh, maybe inspiring a, a whole range of indian citizens out there who may have an individual entrepreneurial journey but may not be willing to take that journey for for various reasons i think i've done that aditya has done that let's see let's see where we go One point that you mentioned, which um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you're talking about, is this luck. Uh, because I do consider myself quite lucky. Uh, if you've met before, maybe through some kind of symposium, which you know, or or other events, my study with the company I work for. So, um, of course, it goes together with risk. But how much of your current situation is linked to luck? And Do you think you can influence that? Julian. Uh great great question Julian. Um you know uh I'm I'm so I'll answer this in in sort of various ways. I'm I'd like to believe that I'm more of a rationalist than than somebody who is um you know who believes in destiny in some ways. I I don't know whether I believe in destiny or not. but whether it is luck or whether it is fortune whether it is opportunity i think you know in some ways i feel that and i i must explain that statement of mine in some ways i feel that everybody is almost equally lucky or or most people get you know are exposed to almost an equal amount of opportunity right and i say most people because there is there is a difference in in which country you come from or with which uh, you know how much what education you have etc but by and large the question really is that whether you hold on to that opportunity and whether you find that courage from deep within to try and really make the most of it you know um the reason i say i'm lucky or whatever it is is that look i was not the smartest kid in class um i may have been intelligent but i was certainly not topping my class whether in school or in college yeah i was i was a bright kid i was above average and all of that but but i wasn't you know coming first and all right right through i did not go to the most you know the the most prestigious you know college um in in the country or in the world right um but there were other students who were in a similar situation there were other youngsters who were in a similar situation but but you know who makes the most of that opportunity that is in front of you 
right? I think that 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 makes a big difference. Um, and by the way, uh, Julian, I I know it's kind of odd coming from somebody who became CEO at the age of 32, and you know, and all of that. I'm actually not a very ambitious person. I'm actually not. I'm very fearful. I'm very fearful of of uh, not being able to uh, come good on the responsibility that has been given. You know, I'm very fearful of failure in that sense. Not failure in success or failure in that sense, but failure in terms of did I put in my my heart and soul into it? Did I go in with my all of my honesty or purpose? I'm very comfortable if this if the outcome is different from what what I expected it to be. But did I try really hard? And uh, that is something that I'm I'm very very paranoid about. Right? When we think about business, right? All of the things that we just discussed, the three of us discussed in the last twenty minutes, in the current the so-called VUCA world, right? And and it's been I think VUCA for a while. Hmm. Businesses also have to actually do exactly what we have been talking about. Do you push yourself and and you know reach deep within and believe in yourself and chase that dream? Do you let go of what has made you successful so far? and say that no i'm going to give it my best shot are you comfortable not only by yourself but even your employees and your team if they fail and when i say fail my my definition of failure is the the outcome was different from what you had expected it to be you know so just to the same things that we are doing as individuals you know do we as a as a corporate as a company as a business you know in this in this world which is the topic that we want to discuss today are you being able to do some of the same things or are you going to fall back on the same like you know trodden path and say okay you know every, the last next 5 15 companies are doing this i'm going to do this a little bit better but i'm not going to do something fundamentally different you know i'm so fearful of failure i'm so fearful of letting go of my material things right i mean when somebody makes a career career change they are they are risking personal things right they're risking their home or their car or their children's school education or whatever it is right as a company i you're risking all the material things right the the offices and the planes and the jets and this that and the other Are you personal as well? Like all the people working for you, you somehow risking their life. Exactly, exactly. And and just like and and in a, and I find it, you know, I keep saying, you know, you, organizations are like human beings, right? So, so just like you said, when I am I am risking something or I'm making a career move, what I, what will I try to do? The first thing that I will try to do is I'll try to make sure that my children's future is safe. or i'll try to make sure that if my parents are somebody i'm responsible for they have a roof above their head after that i'm willing to take my own risk in the corporate world often very unfortunately what we should be doing is we should take off our care of our children which mean our employees you know are the employees safe you know are my shareholders you know and then after that i take the risk upon myself but actually what happens in reality is actually just the opposite we make we we keep making things secure for ourselves and put the the rest of them under the bus but if we actually you know why i purposely started off this whole discussion in a sort of very individualistic way and i brought in bopen also as examples is that now that you see you 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 just take that and you know and you put it into the into the way you run a business 
and then you see some of the most admired companies in the world you know the gs of the world the starbucks of the world i mean you know the some of the most admired companies of the world which which over a sustained period of time have been you know have been sort of you know have been admirable organization they do exactly this actually yeah that's quite interesting I do have a question about as you raise business now to, to go bit away from your personal life, um, and and I, I wanted to kind of face your back to, to to some failure you had, but honestly, it's hard to find Indigo is a big success story, and and, and well, well, given the current situation, we will see how these two evolve might be for your Indigo. But I do have a question for you, which comes from my personal experience. I mostly had amazing experience with Indigo. Uh, my most recent flight was the only female crew, also two pilots, which I think um, Indigo has the highest number of female pilots worldwide. And this is something that you as a CEO really cared about. I remember seeing you on an interview at the symposium uh, in Sun Garden with a girl power uh, badge. And, and in the end, like in terms of PR and the image you gave of the company was, was amazing. And then I want to mirror this to something that happened to me recently with Oyo. Uh, it was a few months ago. I was in, in Pune in India, and 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 uh, I, I booked a, a Oyo um, on an international platform, and and I go there, and the staff refused to talk to me, uh, basically because they couldn't or didn't want to host foreigners. And and in that case, like it's it's post company which are led by by you with with among other people. But in terms of micro challenges like that, how do you ensure customer satisfaction? Um, how would you do recovery? Would you be able to replicate something like gold power at all? Um, you know, whenever I have um, seen that something has not gone well, right? Whether it was at Indigo, whether it is at Oyo, or whether it is at any one of the other companies that that uh, that I've been involved in, um, it's it's usually because we lost uh, we lost focus of the detail, and uh, we lost focus of uh, of of what the consumer really needs. You know, so. If if we ever lost focus of that, then it kind of compounded into a much much bigger problem, right? So so for example, and at the same time, um, I think what what is the answer to that is that can you can you do two things? Can you make sure that you understand the needs of the consumer really really well? Do you have a product that meets those needs of the consumer, not, not the wants, but the needs of the consumer? Do you have a process to make sure that they are really the employees and the colleagues are really trained and the processes are set so that it it transferred or it delivers that with great amount of consistency? So, for instance, uh, you know, in uh, at 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 Oyo, for instance, when you had this situation where you as a foreigner to a hotel and uh, and the receptionist said that you know. That no, we cannot, you know, we cannot entertain foreigners. It is probably because they didn't have this thing called the C4 form, you know, which is like, you know, a hotel has to go through this. So obviously there was a breakdown of that process where we had to ensure that, you know, we are not expecting every hotel to be or every property to have got all the approvals because it takes time. But we the process broke down where 
a foreign passport holder was sent to a hotel which did not have that. You know? So we lost the eye of the, you know, we've lost the details of it. Or for that matter, at Indigo, right? Um, I think one of the things that we got, uh, there, there are many times that, that we failed. And one of the times that we failed was when, uh, when we erred so much on the side of, of consistency, and I'm giving you the opposite end of the example, that we almost became rude and arrogant. And then we had to kind of re rework ourselves in that personality and, and, uh, and kind of go back and change our outlook and create flexibility so that we could deal with different types of consumer needs without kind of, you know, compromising on the consistency of the, of the service. Um, so, but, but I've also realized that, um, you know, for in, in the case of OYO, for instance, I think I think the story is still getting written. And it, for a six, seven-year-old company to get compared to some of the best which have been around for 40, 50 years, 15, 20 years, is a little bit unfair. And I think there is a there is a fair amount of you know journey that they still need to walk. In my experience at leading Indigo, I have realized that uh, you know the moment you become the 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 largest, the best, the number one, whatever way you define it. Whether you are, whether you look at yourself like that or not, everybody else does. And therefore the expectation from you is exponentially higher than the number two. So that's a, you know, sort of burden of leadership that you must carry uh, on your, on your shoulders, you know? Um, and you, and in all of that, uh, I, I'll get, give you a very, this thing, um, very uh, real life example when I, when I think it was about two and a half years ago, we had that one customer service incident at the, at the Delhi airport. Uh, irrespective of whether it was right, wrong, or, or not, people just came to a conclusion immediately, right? And, 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 and we went through a very painful time within the organization. You know, we were the darling of everybody's eyes. I mean, you know, we were this poster child of India. And then we were like, but why are people saying this? You know, they, they know us, they travel us every day. And after a few weeks, I, I remember I sent out, maybe about a week or so, you know, it was a very troubled time. Everybody was going through a bad time uh, because of all the, you know, mudslinging that was going on. And after a week or so, I wrote a, uh, a short email to all my colleagues. And I said, look, guys, you know, all this while we've been asked, asked, trying to ask what, why are they saying this? And I've just come to the realization that's the wrong question to ask. We should ask, what are they saying? They may be, why they're saying maybe, maybe a hundred different reasons. Maybe they had a, they were in a bad mood. Maybe they wanted to, you know, create attention. Maybe whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What they are saying is more relevant. And let us kind of make a note of those things and reflect over them and say, if they're saying this, is there any truth to it? And even if there is a iota of truth to it, we'll take that and improve. And we went through this six, seven months, and the whole airline came out as stronger, better, and you know, built great foundations. So I think these are some of the things that you know we learn as 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 uh, as individuals and as organizations. But Aditya, if I may come in, and you know, just to follow up, because I know exactly the kind of instances that you are talking about. And, uh, you know, and on, on my own program on Viewpoint on CNN News 18, we spent many shows and we did all these, you know, these audience-based shows and whatnot. And I myself, I must admit that I myself, uh, I used to swear by traveling Indigo for the simple reason that 
I knew that it was the perhaps the only airline which valued my time. So I, I mean, I could plan a trip from Delhi to Mumbai and back, get on a meeting in Mumbai, come back to Delhi, get on a meeting here, do my broadcast because I could I could time the departure and arrival, you know, as per my clock and as per my requirement. But I did see that there was a time, there was a time when it appeared as if as if you know Indigo. Staff felt that Indian citizens or frequent flyers, business flyers like me, really had no other option but to fly Indigo. So if you don't fly Indigo, you can go to hell. No, it's like that. That where else will you go, boss? Jet is a bad airline. You won't fly. It's an expensive airline. Air India, well, timings are a problem. So there were always these issues. You know, there were always these issues where where people would say that either you take it or you leave it. So what I want to know, and there's a bit of you know a, yeah. a bit of my my own self introspection also with yes, this, yeah, that when you're at the top of your game, yeah. when you're at the peak of your career, yeah. uh, you know in your respective genre, how do you deal with criticism? Yeah, exactly I mean, the what and why question that you're raising, Aditya. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make a distinction between the two? Yeah, great, great question, Bhupin. And and Bhupin is absolutely right, you know. Um, and I'll tell you the reason why that happens also. First, I'll give you the reason why that happens. Nobody actually. Most most companies, uh, most good companies. I, I'm not saying every company, but most good companies actually want to do the right thing. Mm. But there are some unintended consequences that happen. So you know, when we were going through this massive expansion, on one side, what we were doing well, we were creating more and more choices for the consumer, and therefore consumers were following us, and you know, and you know, there were more and more flights, and you know, the same thing with Oyo as well. You know, today mm. it's the most present. You know, geographically present, uh, you know, hotel brand in the world. But what happens is, then you start saying, okay, you know, I want to make it very, very consistent. And when you are in this very distributed sort of a network business, rather than like a factory, you have to err on the side of consistency, right? So you err on the side of discipline, and you swing the pendulum on on that side, and you kind of make a mental note. That you know, there will be a few people who will be upset, but 99 people will be happy. First mistake, which is exactly what I, I, I. It was a learning, because even that one percent, even that one customer, is equally important, mm. right? So that was the first mistake. Then you said, "Oh shit!" You know, I've got to find a way to not only be consistent but also take care of that individual customer. So that's item. Mm. Item number two is. It reflects on leaders like me, and I'm. I do not. I don't want to talk about any other leader or any other company. But let me talk about myself. Whatever I start talking about, whatever I start spending time on, my rest of the organization also does that. You know. So, for instance, there was a time just after the IPO, etc., where, you know, we were going every three months to the analysts and saying. So many airplanes, largest market share, this, that, and other. So every employee also starts saying, "So many airplanes, largest market share, this, that." Right. right. So there is somebody who actually, uh, uh, you know, who, who knew me kind of, um, doesn't know me very well. Um, he pulled me aside uh, and and he said that to me, one senior guy, and 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 he said to me, you know, Aditya, I was sitting next to uh, um, on an Indigo airplane and. Um, And there was a young pilot sitting next to me. So now I'm thinking, okay, he's going to go at me for something. So then he says that uh, fantastic flight, everything was on time, super clean, like you know all the things that Bhupen was saying. I said, okay, so you know something is coming. He said, then I started speaking to this pilot, 
Now I'm thinking, oh my God, did this one employee say something? I said, so what did he say? He said he's in love with Indigo. I mean, he just like, you know, he just worships you and like, you know, worships you personally and he loves the airline. So I said, okay, what's the problem? Like, you know, you're telling me this for some reason. He says, you know, all I had to say was, why do you work like work for Indigo? And he gave me a 20-minute presentation virtually, how many airplanes, how much market share, this, that, and the other. <laughs> and, and, and I said, okay, I got it. Because what has happened is that all 20,000 people are saying, which is not a factually incorrect thing, but it can seep in two risks, which is what I want to come to, which is Bupen's question. The two biggest risks are complacency and arrogance. Hmm. It, was, it is an unintended consequence. So then we went through these six months of saying, hey, you know, let us, let us not say we are the biggest. Let us, let the whole world say we are the biggest. Let us focus on all the really small things, which, by the way, this is the same type of stories that you hear about Starbucks. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. How, how about Walmart? About Amazon? Everybody goes through this cycle. Everybody hmm. goes through this sort of learning, unlearning, and then realizing. So, Aditya, was, 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 this, was this part, you know, because the one thing which I noticed, uh, and, and I remember uh, tweeting about it at some stage. So initially, the, the, the Indigo staffers, you know, the airline crew would say, ladies and gentlemen, you know, welcome, good morning, good evening. Then somewhere it became ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls. Yeah. So what was the story behind that? At what stage <laughs> did ladies and gentlemen became boys and girls? We can say, I don't know. This happened long ago. This happened, yeah. I think, in uh, 2009, 10 or something. And mm-hmm. it was actually, uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was actually Rahul's idea. It was not my idea. But of course, uh, we, we thought it was great, you know, because we were having a lot of young flyers. And mm-hmm. how that came up was I had started a few things for young flyers, you know, that little passport and things like that. Right, and I remember right. Rahul coming back and saying, hey, then why don't we address them? And, but of course, the, the bit that I have never been able to answer for myself is why mm-hmm. do we say ladies and why did we say ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and not girls and boys and maybe your successor maybe your successor <laughs> would be looking at it closely because you talked about indigo and he said you had experience with indigo and now oyo and do you find the dna of these two companies different or same so how would you answer the same for oyo now Oh, very different. Uh, very, very different DNA. Very different. Uh, you know, so look, it's only because different market, different. You know, they are ten years separated in time. Uh, the geographical spread of Oyo is over eighty countries, whereas Indigo is in whatever four, five, six countries, seven countries. Um, the pace of growth at Oyo is is very different. Um, the kind of kind of educational background that a lot of people ex- experience and educational background that people come into Oyo and Indigo are very, very different. You know, in Indigo is a lot of it is grounds up, right? We all grew up from the ground and in and, and Oyo, it's a very tech driven business. A lot of, you know, engineers, a lot of MBAs, a lot of, you know, people from great, great business schools, great engineering schools, um, a lot of international talent. Um, but I think uh, at the, but there's also a similarity. The similarity is that, uh, and I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying OU is at a final stage. You know, I think we make a lot of mistakes. There are lots of things that we have to improve upon. But the similarity is that, um, you know, you have, you have a, a product like hotels, which so far had been very expensive or not available, or like, you know, there are only a few and far between. And it's trying to democratize that product and service across 80 countries. And we've gone from four countries to 80 countries in a matter of year, year and a half. And then, you know, the Corona crisis has happened and all of that. So therefore, as I said, the story is still being written, but there is definitely that sort of, you know, sort of a sense of purpose behind it, that how can we democratize this, this uh, product or service across. And, and also for the very first time, we have a fighting chance of being the first truly global brand out of India, right? We have had a lot of great companies that I have admiration for who have gone international in the past in various sectors, manufacturing, IT, this, that, the other. But 80 countries around the world, 700, 800 cities, you can see an Indian name on a street corner. This is the first time that you're, you're seeing that opportunity. If I if I could just if I could just pick up that thread, you know, because Aditya, it's it's coincidental uh, that today uh, we're having this chat and just last night on my on my digital simulcast I had Ritesh, Ritesh Agarwal uh, on the program and, and I, I really enjoyed talking to him. You know, this uh, this young chap and, and full of insights. Uh, but I, I love the 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 projection that he gave us about what going to a hotel would be like. So, you know, it was about uh, a glass cabin-oriented reception, a key-less hotel, a contact-less hotel. What I'd like to know from you at this stage, since you have experience of the civil aviation sector, now you're with OYO, what I want to know is that in this COVID kind of an environment and yeah. post-COVID, what are the kind of changes you think? How could flying be? For instance, if I have to fly, at the end of the day, I'm flying in a, in a compressed environment. You know, I mean, there is air conditioning. So it's a restricted kind of a place, much like if I go to an OYO place, it, it is a restricted kind of a place. What are the kind of specific changes, if you could highlight maybe, you know, two or three changes you think are bound to happen and which may end up creating this new sense of normalcy, whether it's hotel or, or the civil aviation infrastructure? I think, Bupin, um I kind of see this as what will happen till the time that a vaccine is found and mm. what will happen post-vaccine. Right. So, so the reason I say that is that when people are doing this massive predictions that over the next 20, 30, 40 years, this will change and the world has changed forever. I don't quite believe that because the moment you have a vaccine and the vaccine becomes affordable and largely available, you know, people's just paranoia will just, you know, drop. Mm. So, so that's one thing. Now, having said that, Till the time, I think there will be initially, initially there will be a fair amount of suspicion, a fair amount of sluggishness, a fair amount of, you know, this sort of distancing in, in many ways, right? And it's, it, is, it is kind of awkward, right? I mean, it is not a human thing. You know, we, we like contact, right? Mm-hmm. I think there will be certain things which will become as, as contactless as possible. Like, you know, you can literally... You know, today the technology exists that you make a make a booking through your credit card mm. and you go to the hotel or you go to an airline gate and punch in your credit card and it reads you and you actually take your some kind of an ID proof and scan it and it matches the two. The swing gates open and you're in. 
right? You can you can pre-book your meal, so there is not even any change in currency, or you can just literally tap your card on the on the on the machine, right? So that even if you have to buy food, etc., right? But um, but having said that, you know there is so there'll be I think all of these things which are easier done in hotels than in than in airlines, of course. Immediately though. people will have to get used to the fact that it will take longer to check into a to an airplane you know it will become um uh the cost structure of an airplane of an airline may go up the only 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 silver lining is maybe fuel is a compensatory factor you know where if crude oil comes down and atf comes down then you know that's a compensatory factor but otherwise if you cannot carry one third of the passengers because you cannot sell the middle seat it's going to it's bound to kind of increase your cost structure dramatically post vaccine all of this thing will kind of change i think it will be very very um it will be a big mindset change for for hotel staff and cabin crew and 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 airport staff because they will have, they will be coming into contact with a lot of people or they'll be in the proximity of of a lot of people so you know the kind of suits they have to wear you know uniforms will change and headgear will change and and things like that but there is another other philosophical thing that you know bupen you and i should have a separate session on this someday and we should chat about it mm. and julian you will understand you know what the world is what's happening actually is the world is becoming distant borders are getting closed xenophobia is rising people are taking more nationalist interests mm. but it's anything that the covid crisis has taught us is that a collaborative approach between nations between consumers and 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 producers between corporate between private and public enterprises you know is what will actually prevent the next big you know climate crisis or or or, or environmental crisis or a bioterrorism uh, attack or something of that sort so one has to actually not go with the flow but say hey 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 hold on hold on hold on i understand that i have to create some of these you know immediate fences around me but let those fences not become borders where you know we become so distant from each other and nations become so distant from each other that we actually invite the next biggest crisis upon us you know it's a, it's a deeply you know it's almost antithetical uh, you know the way that the world actually needs to move versus the way the world is actually moving Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I take that point. I um, switched off. It's been late, but I guess we cannot just stop the conversation here. Um, I would like to just switch to to maybe a, um, a topic to con- to conclude. It's more about leadership and skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read an article about uh, in the Business Insider where they qualifies you as the troubleshooter in need, uh, <laughs> which I guess now all you need is. Uh, but basically, my question, which is because in the chat as well. is from you what the biggest uh, quality or assets of a business leader according to you do you think that you have it and what other skill would you like to acquire more uh, um, to 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 make you even more successful yeah. and um the question we got from the chat is would be three leadership lessons which you you want participants to take away uh well i know i know over a period of time i've i've become known as that troubleshooter i've become known as that guy who can come in uh, 
uh, kind of help scale things up or help fix things. Um, um, I think, I think um, you know, some the very first, and this is just out of experience, right? Like, like uh, Bupen said, I mean, I never went to business school, right? So this is just what I've learned over the last 15 years. The very sh- first lesson that I had is that as a leader, one must consci- always be conscious and be acutely aware of the fact that everybody's constantly watching you and you are leading by example. Yeah? That basically means an organization can pick up your bad habits, but that also means that if you are able to lead by example, you can set the organization culture in a way that people start copying you and you can create uh, the kind of way that, 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 uh, that you want that organization and you want colleagues and employees to behave. And especially when tens of thousands of people are involved in, in very, very different sort of um, circumstances. So that's item number one. The fact that you are the role model, the fact that you have to lead by example, and the fact that everybody's watching you all the time. The second thing is that the second realization that I had have had is that even though you're a leader, you're not really in charge. And there's a difference, you know? And that you are as much a part of that team, and there may be various occasions when you might have to follow the lead of some other team member. And you should be very comfortable in doing that, or in fact, you should almost say. It's like, to use, a, to use an airline analogy, you know, even if you're the captain, you know, you, uh, there are situations when you look at the first officer and say, you have controls. And he says, yes, I have controls. You know? and, and therefore, I've, I've realized that in some cases, you have to give controls over to somebody who is more capable at that job or at that, at that task or at that team or at that you know, stage of life. And you are willing to follow their lead. So you're as much a part of that team as you are. Right? Um, the other, uh, the other uh, lesson that I had was that um, it is extremely important for one to be, uh, for one to have um, the, the, the humility to expose your weaknesses, to one to have the ability to kind of acknowledge what you don't know or what you know, you know? Um, and even if you have to change your mind, you know, a lesson, a line that I often use is, even if I had said something to my team the previous week and I changed my mind because I either figured I was wrong or I got some new information, I'll just say, look, I woke up smarter this morning. So, you know what? This is, this is the new, new way we're going to do things. The bit that I have to continue to work away on Right, the bit that I have to continue to work about, which is one of the questions that you asked, is that how can I become, um, sorry, maybe just before that, one last lesson, but that is not just for a leader, but for everybody else. I think, um, I think humility is one of the most understated virtues. You know, I mean, I, I, I really think that, um, especially in a world which is extremely macho and extremely like, you know, aggressive and everybody wants to kind of, you know, do that you know, pocket the next billion dollars in your pocket or something. I think humility is one of the most under, underrated virtues. And I, so the thing that I have to constantly work upon, and it's a, it's a journey, is that while I'm a, I'm a learner and I'm a, you know, a student for life, 
I need to become a better and better listener over time. I have improved, but if there was one thing, I'd be very open and say, okay, you know, I have to tell myself, I have to teach myself of how to be a better and better listener over time. Over, over a period of time. Can I can I put it this way, Aditya? You know, now, now that I'm listening to you, I'm I'm, I'm loving uh, I'm loving this conversation. You know, I, if I was to put it in an Indian context, look at how in a in a typically corporate environment, yes, you know, you can look at you can look at any any kind of a, an individual. Uh, the truth is that there are many people who like the yes men around them, the yes men and women around them, right? Uh, and and I understand uh, it gets you know sometimes like when I used to lead a very young team. So often I would just throw up a question in terms of a policy or a particular department of the government. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. What you're saying is right, sir. And I, I could go back home and I think, oh, wow, you know, I, you know, nine of those 10 things. So as a leader, explain to me when you end up surrounding yourself only with the yes men, while it may make you feel very happy about yourself, does it end up doing long-term damage on the prospects of the company that you lead Great and your own self, frankly? Great question. And, and I'll answer it in two ways. How I used to do it earlier versus how I've started doing it in the last four, five years. Mm. Earlier, you know, Julian and Bupin, you know, there was a very famous uh, 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 test that investment banks in Wall Street used to do. It used to be called the elevator test, you know, where the idea was that you're interviewing somebody or you're interviewing somebody for your team. And the question was that if you were stuck in the elevator with this person for an hour, would you still kind of survive or are you going to kind of kill each other? And most people said that, you know, the ones who I can survive with are the ones who are coming. in. I used to also do the same thing. Right. Then I realized that, no, that's actually over a period of time, you're building a, a cult around yourself, which have a lot of very, very similar people, which may be the comfortable thing to do but it doesn't help you grow, right? What I've started doing over the last four or five years is almost choose opposites. There may be an alignment of value. Alignment of value is very important, but I've always started, started last four, five, six, four, five, six years now. I've consciously tried to take people within my immediate team who are diametrically opposite of mine. Um, they could be, they would be women. They would be people who are quieter personalities than I am. They may be people who may be more uh, spiritual than, than I am. They may be somebody who is not a fitness freak at all, but is interested in poetry or something of that sort. They may be somebody who's an engineer, MBA, math geek kind of a person, or somebody who's a fashion designer, or somebody who came from a very, very different you know, family and educational or regional background that I came from, right? And so that's the first step. The other thing is, you know, I've, I'm reasonably good at, I, I, if there are one or two kind of God-given skills that I have, you know, like, you know, that gift, one of them is that I have a great power of observation. I've realized that, you know, that's why I remember things and all of that. So I'll be, when, I, when that question comes up that, you know, this is what it is, I'll be watching people's eyes and this and that. And then, then I really go after them to constantly, no, no, no. But, you know, I think there is something in your mind. I think there is something that you disagree with. I think you're still not happy with it. You know, of course, you know, my immediate team after a while gets irritated with those questions. And they'd be like, we would have told you if there was something wrong. But, but I've taught myself that to, to kind of really dig out. 
which especially in the Indian context, Bhupen, is very, very important because we are more obedient than we are... Uh, and we are done subservient. Yeah. We're subservient. We are subservient. <laughs> Actually, obedience is not a bad, not a bad thing. Subservience. Is. Yeah, subservience yeah, yeah. is the right word. Yeah, yeah. Aditya, um, okay. we are reaching the end of this conversation, and we have a lot of good questions, including Go one from Ame, which wants to become a pilot with Indigo, but he's worried now. So I, I would like, I would like to to ask maybe one question, which aims to summarize a bit of all the questions we have. Yes. Is where do you see yourself? Where do you see Oyo? Where do you see Indigo slash the aviation industry in, in four weeks, four months, four years, and four decades? <laughs> Multi. That's a that's a matrix question now. <laughs> and you and you have six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so I think you know. The, let's talk about the travel business. I do believe that the travel business is is by and large a fundamental need of a human being. You know, whether you're going for for work, you're going for education, you're going for healthcare or whatever it is. Yes, there is some amount of discretionary travel. And I think that will undergo some serious pressure. But by and large, that essential travel is something that's going to, uh, that is a fundamental need and that is not going away. The current crisis that you see is because of an artificial uh, you know, restrictions. The moment that floodgate is open and people, you know, the airplanes are allowed to fly and people are allowed to go to airports and interstate, uh, you know, traffic is 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 the thing. You'll see, you'll see a sort of surge, maybe a somewhat of a sluggishness, and then a recovery. But that recovery will be led by affordable segment of the market. But that goes for anything. That goes from shampoo to it goes for bicycles to it goes for air travel also or hotels for that matter, the affordable segment of the market will lead the recovery because people will still need to satisfy that fundamental need, but they will also have another need, which is to conserve cash. So which is why the recovery will happen through the affordable segment of the market. In four weeks time, I think it will be still very, very, you know, minuscule changes from where we are today. In four months' time, I think some of the ones with weak balance sheet will would have disappeared, you know, because they just will not have the runway to last up. In four years' time, I think we are in the midst of a boom, right? Four decades is just too 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 large, too long a period of time. Uh, but but you know, I think one one if if you look at the history of the human civilization over the last, let's say, you know, three, four thousand years, you'll see a lot of movement of people from one place to another. And a lot, but most of the times movements happened in one direction, like they went from one place and settled in another. I think the back and forth will be more in four decades time, if I had to kind of you know, take a stab at it. Um, the, just like, you know, why, do, why does the animal kingdom move back and forth in migrations? Because they have the ability to do that, you know. But human beings are the virtually the only only part of the animal kingdom which moves. The migration is kind of unidirectional in in, in many ways. Um, the 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 bit about you know me uh, uh, Oyo as Oyo as as a company or Indigo as a company, I think both will follow similar patterns where the next six months is going to be wait and watch and conserve and and just hunker down and and reduce variable costs, reduce capacity, just like a 
factory reduces capacity, I think the same way they will do it. But again, because they are both in the affordable segment of the market, I think this will, uh, uh, this will, you know, you you will see them lead the recovery first. But I think there will be for a lot of companies, there will be a greater focus on understanding what the consumer really needs, and there'll be a, a renewed focus around the consumer. As far as I am concerned, I think you know um, what what. I, I have tried to date now I've been over a period of time that I've decided to dedicate my life to is where I can create more and more impact. That impact does not mean that it doesn't have to be only social impact. It can be impact on a business. It can be, but how many lives can I touch? And so for example, uh, even on the things where I've involved in more social development or social impact side, I, and you're asking me this very personal question, so I'm just answering it very personally. You know, in the social sector or in or in social impact investments, etc., there's a lot of honesty of purpose. There's a fair amount of money also, right? But there isn't enough, I think, experience in being able to build up things to scale, right? And which is where, you know, at least that's what I've always done for the last 15 years, right? Being able to scale up businesses, being able to scale up organizations, being able to connect with tens of thousands of colleagues and employees, being able to connect with consumers. If I can somehow, you know, contribute that to a great idea, which is, which is, you know, which is, um, then I think, uh, then I think, I mean, I, I would, I would feel very good about myself. Let me put it that way. And then there are some very personal goals, like, you know, do, will my children 10 years from now, say good things about me as a father. I mean, you know, or will my friends and immediate colleagues say good things about me 10 years from now? Um, because, and I, that's the last thing I want to finish with. People often ask me, what is success? You know, and for me, true success is when 10, 15 years down the line, someone looks at you and says, I want to be like her or want to be like him. And to be able to get there, you have to make a lot of right choices or more number of right choices than wrong choices and live your life in a certain way for 10, 15, 20 years. And somebody says, you know, I want to be like him. So uh, that's a test that I think I'm going to be on for the next 40 years. I'll be 85 then, so I'll be the next 40 years. A pretty good target for myself. Thank you very much for, for, for joining us today. Thank you to, to Bhupan. Please yes, for me in Singapore, we don't have mountains, and I miss them crazily. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway from our conversation is... By the way, is, uh, there's somebody on the, there's somebody on the yeah. chat box who just said uh, excellent thoughts regards Anupam Sarwala. Anupam has knew, knows me for the past 20 odd years. I haven't met him in 20 years, but thank you, Anupam. So very kind, very kind. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is humility. And, and I really liked when you said that you emailed all your colleagues instead of you email all your employees, which I think is the key also in, in how humble you have uh, led Indigo and, and, and you're still carrying your business venture now. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you to speaking. For